Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. Buongiorno. Come state? Bene. Grazie. Io vi porto tanti saluti dal vostri fratelli a Milano che stanno pregando per noi nei nostri viaggi che facciamo e loro hanno detto di dirvi il Signore è grande. Amen? E stiamo vincendo e Gesù sta ritornando. Gloria al Signore. What I just said is, how you doing? Uh, what I said was I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters in Milano who are praying for Joan and me as we go around. And they said to tell you, thank you for sending us there 43 years ago. And God is working and God is answering prayers. And listen, Jesus is returning And that's the exciting thing about what we do every Sunday. I know Nathan spoke on the book of Revelation, and he just got done finishing that. And I love that book. Now, all the scrolls and all these things that they have in there, I like to put all that stuff aside. I like to summarize the book in a couple words. You know what it says? We win. That's what it all comes down to. And as I think about speaking and traveling around, and I've been around a lot of different churches, I get emotional every time I come back, especially after 43 years. I could come back and see churches that have stood with us, brothers and sisters that have upholded us all these years. And when I come back to Southridge and think 43 years ago, Joan and I stood on this platform with two little kids, Nina, 11, and Sam, 12, and said, we are going to Italy to plant a church. Little did I know what that meant. And now that I look back on it, and I think I said that thing in Italian, you go like this. You know what that means? You're a little bit crazy. Because when we got there, and we spent two years in Florence, and I, I spent two years trying to learn how to speak Italian, and I broke all records for missionaries studying Italian. Most missionaries came in for three months four months, five months, and it just means I'll be out of here. <laughs> and here I am, a year, year and a half, I still, when someone said ciao, I thought that it was time to eat. <laughs> this is brimshot. <laughs> Two years later, we moved to Milano. And just to show you how 
God provides when you really don't know what's going on. I want to put up that verse, 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 5. Look what it says. May God himself, the God of, the God of peace. How many people need peace here? I think we all need peace. Sanctify you through and through. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look what it says. The one who calls you is faithful. Guys. And it says, he will do it. I think when we came here, and I, I wasn't a preacher. I was a businessman. Before I, was, uh, I had my own business. Before I did that, I was an engineer. Before that, I was a rock drummer with long hair down here. And here I am preaching. I go to Milan, couldn't learn Italian after two years. You know why? I'm a dyslexic. I'm not only a dyslexic, I'm hyperactive and attention deficit. I know that's hard to believe people who know me. <laughs> but I have all these defects. And God took us out of this uh, Annandale area, that Lebanon township, and moved us to this huge city of Milano with our little kids to speak another language at the age of 36. I was rejected by three mission organizations. I couldn't find anybody to send us because I was too old. And here I am there. And when I couldn't speak, I thought, maybe they were right. But then this verse came to mind. God called me. And somehow he's going to do something. And he's going to provide a way. God, listen to me. This is Volunteer Sunday. You're sitting here, and God says, I want you to volunteer to do something in this church. And keep in mind, it doesn't have to be a preacher. You could be out serving ice cream, the Italian ice. You could be out in the vacation Bible school. But if you make yourself available, God will take you and use you for his glory. And when I think of this, after two years of language study, I could hardly speak. We moved to Milano, and I started talking to a guy on, in a park bench, and I started sharing with him this incredible message that Jesus saves and all you have to do is say, Lord Jesus, come into my life and save me. Forgive me my sins, and I'll follow you from this point on. I prayed that prayer 59 years ago. Someone might have to pray that prayer today. But I said to the guy, I said, what do you think about what I just said? He said, ah, Selma, it's interesting. So would you like to pray to receive Jesus? And he said, yes, I would. I said, you would? He's like, D did he understand what I said? He eventually became an elder in our church, by the way. And I thought to myself, God takes normal people, and he has a plan for everybody here.
We went to Italy, took our kids into a pagan culture, no Christian friends. Everybody said they're going to be casualties. I said, listen, God has just directed us to go. I, I don't understand how this thing is going to work out, but I'm going to walk by faith. 43 years later, Nina is a missionary married to Michael Shasma, and you guys support them. They have a daughter church in our town. We went, we started our Bible study in our home with five people, and God just multiplied that church, and we have a, a fairly large church in Milano. Glory is a teacher. That's Nina's daughter. Max is uh, one more year for medical, and my grandson is a missionary serving in Milan, Italy also. That little 11-year-old girl. My son, Sam, 12, he was in a banking business for many years, moved to Geneva, Switzerland. And while he was there, his church called him to be a pastor. He's a pastor of a Baptist church, a large Baptist church. He's got eight ambassadors in his church. It's an incredible influential church and he is also the chaplain at the United Nations in Geneva, Switzerland. I'm thinking to myself, I said to Joan, how do these things happen? I grew up in Union, New Jersey in an Italian ethnic community. I was the first believer. I was a rock drummer when I heard the gospel, when I prayed to receive Jesus. And here, it, here we are, three generations of missionaries I was the first believer in my family. And all I can look at is think, when God called me to himself, when I was lost in the world, growing up in this ethnic community and in union, my role model was Al Capone. <laughs> and here I am now standing, saying, God, transformed me that day when I said, Lord Jesus, forgive me. He started the transformation that took place. And I think, am I someone unique? No. God is just saying that, Sam, you made yourself available. And listen to me, guys. When we make ourselves available to God, he takes us with all our defects and uses us. And here's how he done. In Matthew 16, there's an incredible promise there. And by the way, I'll just show you this, show you where Milano is. This is Italy, okay. Milano's right here. Town of three million people. When we went there, there were 3,000. And praise God, I'll tell you a little bit about it. There's another island off the toe, Sicily and Sardinia. And God sent us there. And there's this passage that Jesus said. He was talking to his disciples. And the question came up. Jesus asked them, who do people say I am? Some people say, you're Elijah. Some people say, you're a prophet. Some people say, you're a maestro. Peter, the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth, who always said everything wrong, 
finally got it right. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And at that point, Jesus said to him, I tell you that you are Peter, a little rock, okay, Petros in the Greek, and on this rock, Pietra, this huge, Pietra uh, Angulari, how do you say that in English? Cornerstone, okay. You are the, uh, the cornerstone of the church is Jesus Christ, and listen, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus took a very interesting word when he says, I'm going to build my church. We translate it church. It's not this building. The, the word church in the Greek is ecclesia. And it was a Greek term used to ex explain a public meeting. The government would have a public meeting and they say, we're going to have an ecclesia. So all the people would come in, listen to what was being said, and then they would go back into the town. Jesus took that phrase. The apostles could not have understand it. In fact, if you look at it, future tense, I will build my church. And I'm building I will be. He's talking about Acts chapter 2. I will build my church. And here's what he's saying. I'm going to call people out to myself. I'm going to set them aside, and then I'm going to send them back into the world to proclaim the greatest message the world could ever hear. And listen to me. The church of Jesus Christ is on the move. No matter what you see around us, what you think is going on, there is nothing Nothing, nothing in the world that's going to stop this church. At times, sometimes it looks like we're losing, but we're not losing, guys. God, God is at work, and here's the way it works. He's taking normal people to bring this incredible message to the world. I've entitled this message, God's Strange Strategy. You mean to tell me God does strange things? Yes, he does. To bring glory to himself. And I'll have Sharon come up and please read this. And while she's coming up, I'll give you a historical context. This passage, I want to put up uh, John uh, chapter 17. The historical context of this passage is... Jesus had spent three and a half years with his disciples. This is just before the cross. He's going to leave these 11 really marginal people, fishermen, publicans, not theologians. He's going to leave them the responsibility of doing something incredible, and he's, he's training them in this one night, the Last Supper. First thing in chapter 13, he says, you should be a servant. And he washes their feet. Then he goes into chapter 14. And he talks about how he's going to be building his house. Talks about the Holy Spirit. He comforts them. And then he says, you can do nothing without me. Rest in me. And then he says this. My prayer 
is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Father, as we stand before your word, we ask for your direction. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, this has been a good week for these guys. Sunday, Jesus comes in, Palm Sunday. They accept him as the Messiah. Israel's all excited that finally Messiah has come. As the week started going on, things started to go sour. And at this point, these guys still had hope that the master, the Messiah, is going, is here. Then Friday comes and their whole world falls apart. Their savior, their teacher, they weren't sure he was the Messiah, died. Three days later, he rose. And I think here is God's strange strategy. Look what it says. For uh, as you have sent me, so I send them into the world. Here is the incredible God we worship. He chose these people, Peter, the coward, who denied Jesus before his servant woman. All of a sudden, Acts chapter 2 comes, and he proclaims the one you have crucified, the one who was put to death, has risen. Repent and be saved. And 3,000 people become believers. And I think to myself, how does something like that happen with normal people? You know what God is showing in this passage? As the creator of the universe, the one who said, let there be light, and it came into existence, the one who parted the waters, the one who sent plague, uh, plagues on Israel, he could have chosen angels to come and proclaim. He could have written in the sky in the clouds, Jesus saves. He could have sent firebolts and burned it into the ground. But he didn't. He, he took normal people, just like you and me, to do things for him. Have you ever wondered why he would do such a thing like that? You know why? Because he wants to be glorified through your life. Isn't that strange? Isn't that kind of weird? That almighty God wants to use you and me as instruments in his hands. And I look at that the early group of guys, there were 11 of them, and in Acts chapter 2, you see that 120 
Then Peter preaches, there's 3,000. And then says 5,000. And as you read the book of Acts, I get book, uh, goosebumps reading it because it's 5,000, the multitudes, churches. And then at a certain point, it stops. There's no ending to it. Uh, Paul is in Rome under house arrest, and he's still preaching. And then the book just stops, and there's no ending to it. I've asked myself, why? Why didn't God say, may God bless you, keep you? Like, is, Acts is not, a histor is not a theological book. It's not a doctrinal book. It's a history book. You know what it is? The history book of the church. You know why there's no ending to it? Someone said it. What? It's still going. The church, God is still building his church. And if anybody's sleeping, just wake up for a second. Okay. And you can go back to sleep. God is still writing the book of Acts. And I trust that for our church in Milan, Italy, Punto Lode, that God is writing in that ch a chapter and us saying, Punto Lode is faithful to what I call them to do, to proclaim Jesus. There is a chapter for sure for Southridge, 153 years of heritage. And you know, you can't live on the things that were done before you guys. God wants to use you as instruments to write the next hundred years. And he wants volunteers to go and proclaim. And let's get a little bit more practical. I trust that there's a verse in there for me that says, Sam Fiore was faithful to what I called him to do. He was faithful when he was a businessman. He was faithful when he was a student. He was faithful in Southridge as an elder. And he just wants to glorify Jesus. If he's going to write something about you, a verse, what would he write? And guys, listen to me. It doesn't matter what you've done up to this point. He, he could start writing something like, they're going to be volunteers for Jesus. They're going to serve him. They're going to keep doing what they should be doing here in Southridge. I think when I look at those early apostles, I wonder how did they do it? Would you put up the, a verse of scripture from Acts 4, please? Look at what it says. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which you must be saved. When, the Pharisees, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized, I think scripture is very unique. You look what it says. 
they, uh, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary people, men. They were astonished on how they spoke. And they took note that these men has been, have been with Jesus. Guys, listen. What changed Peter and those early believers? They had an in, a intimate relationship with Jesus. It wasn't that they came in church on a Sunday or had their meeting and then went back out. They just lived every day. And they had walked with Jesus. And again, guys, when I, when I think about it, I think, how do we keep going ahead? How do we, how should, can we be used by the Lord? God takes normal people and uses them for his glory. And, you know, I look at each one of us. I want to tell you something. Do you know you are very special to God? You are very unique in God's eyes. Now, some of us are more unique than others. And we all are different. But here's the way he works. He takes you with all your defects, all your wounds and scars, and says, I want to use you to bring glory to myself. I look at myself, again, I'm a dyslexic, hyperactive, and I put them all together. And I think God has chosen to use normal people for his glory. The question is, how does he use us? Does he just make us robots and say, okay, now you're going to do this. Sam, you go to Italy. I had a chance, I had a, the opportunity to say, I'm not going. Or in Italian, I could have said, see you around. But God chose to send us. And here's something you have to keep in mind. When you choose to follow the Lord, sometimes we get tired. Sometimes we get weary. Sometimes we feel like, is God really at work? What's going on? Would you put up Galatians chapter 6, please? Look what it says here in Galatians 6. I'll find that in my Bible. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a, a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as you have opportunities, let, uh, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of God. Here's an interesting thing. I read a passage like that. And I think, John and I, we've been doing this 43 years, and we've been tired. We've had our ups and downs, times we thought, God, are you still there? Are you alive? Are you still working? And when you're physically tired, it's very easy to resolve that problem, right? You go to bed for a week, 
eat some protein, get up, and you could be okay. What do you do when you're spiritually tired and you start thinking, is God still alive? This passage tells us what we should do. Let's go to the next passage, verse of Scripture. We have to remember that God has a plan. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Let me ask you a question. It says at the proper time we're going to see a harvest. If you don't see a harvest, is this verse true or false? It's true. You know why it's true? Because God says it. And he's saying, hey, look, I'm working. Don't give up. Don't grow weary. Don't lose your hope. And guys, living in this world, it's easy to lose hope. You watch the news. You watch what's going on around us. You think of all this craziness that's going on. You think, wait, is God still working Back in uh, three years ago, during COVID in Milano, when it hit, nobody knew what was going on. Italy was the first country to be hit. Started, they said, in a little tiny town about 10 minutes from us, and within a week, the whole northern section of the Lombardy region was completely shut down. We had our church meeting on February 28th, March 1st, we got shut down, and the law came out. You cannot leave your house. We lived in an apartment, third floor, and it was illegal to leave the house. The only way I could use, leave the house is if I was going to get food, and I had to take a piece of paper with me. And when it hit, the first night, it was like, oh, okay. Second night, after a week, here we are, housebound. I was so weary and tired and I I said Joan would you mind if I evangelize you <laughs> she said go ahead and she got saved by the way <laughs> but I said are we in a nightmare are, are we gonna wake up from this thing and say it's just one big dream nightmare and I'm thinking as pastor how do I get to Send, take care of hundreds of people. We didn't have our phones working. We didn't know anything. In mid-March, a guy named Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's son, decided he's going to help Italy. And I cry when I think about it because nobody was helping. We just, your, your church is praying for us. He sent in a hospital to go to Cremona. And... When it got there, every television station, every newspaper, every magazine started saying, the evangelicals have come to help us. And everybody's being interviewed. And here's what these guys said, these workers. We want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And it's like... Wow, so through something that was a tremendous tragedy, we saw thousands of people die. God was being glorified through 
Samaritan's Purse. And they, my, brother, my son-in-law, Michael Shafts, was there for 45 days. He saw a lot of people come to know the Lord in the hospital. And then they closed the tent. And Franklin said, we're coming back to Milano to do an evangelistic campaign in November. Well, it was postponed. But when it happened last November, I happened to go to a prayer meeting with the leadership team. We went in and we prayed and we asked God to bless it. When I walked out into the arena, there were 13,000 people there. It was the largest meeting they ever had in this arena. And Franklin stood up and said, I am here to proclaim Jesus Christ. And I'm going to ask you guys to make a decision. We're all sinners. We're lost. And I'm going to ask you to come forward. And he preached. And when he gave the invitation, hundreds of people started pouring down. And John was praying. John had a responsibility of praying. And I thought to myself, a couple of years ago, we were desperate, tired, and here God is at work doing things, even though we didn't have any idea. Guys, listen, whatever you're going through, Jesus is still on the throne, and it says he's on the throne of grace, and he supplies grace necessary to get you through what you're going through. And it says, don't give up. You know why? I'm going to go to the next slide, please. Because God's timing is always there. Look what it says. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, again, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Again, at the proper time. When is the proper time? How many people like to wait? Uh, interesting. Nobody says it. We plant a seed and say, come on, grow. You look outside. I look at these plants outside. They're like this, and all of a sudden, they're like this. But it's happening naturally, and God has a perfect time for whatever you're waiting for. Guys, don't give up. I know we, we live in time, but our God lives outside of time. We're created in time, but for Jesus, for God, time is no barrier. I was, there's a tunnel in uh, Switzerland. It's 15 kilometers long. It's about 8 miles, 10 miles long. You go in it, and you're driving happy. When you get halfway through, you start getting a little depressed. And then as you're coming to the end, it's like, oh, no, when is this thing going to end? Then you see a little light at the end of the tunnel, and you think, oh, I'm getting light. That's the way God's timing is. Guys, there's always light at the end of the tunnel. And don't give up. I, like, I was the first believer in my family. Um, praise God, mostly all of them have come. My sister, 41 years old, died of brain cancer. And when she was dying, she said, Sam, we have to help. We have to get the rest of the family in the, to receive Jesus. And I said, Marianne, we'll be praying 
together. And about eight years ago, my nieces called me up when I was in Italy. I hadn't seen them in years. And they said, Uncle Sam, we're just calling to say we received Jesus. I said, wow, praise God. I said, they said, someone we just prayed with said, you have to call your uncle and tell him we became believers. Now, their father, Nick, was a hardened atheist. He would make fun of me. He would think Martians coming out of heaven was the right answer. Weird, weird stuff. Just a year ago, I was talking to my niece. And she said, Uncle Sam, Dad came to know Jesus. I'm thinking, 38 years transpired. And here, God answered my sister's prayer. Guys, do not give up. God is on the throne. He's got his plan and his timing. And I'll just close on this here. Put the next verse up, please. We have to do things God ways. Look what it says. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of, of believers. We live in a lost world. And what this is saying is, keep your eyes open and look for opportunities to talk about God. I do a very interesting thing. I don't go in the store and buy things. When I pay, I look at them and say, thank you very much. God bless you. Look them square in the eye. It's interesting how many people say, thank you, I needed that. Let your light shine as opportunities come up in this church. Make yourself available, especially, it says, to the family of God and then the, out, the other people. But we are a strange community, a unique community that God has set aside for a purpose. It's not to have a social club on a Sunday morning. It's to go out and proclaim that God has changed us. Maybe somebody here has to be changed today. So keep in mind, Jesus is the answer. Thank you, Nathan. Well, if you could stand, uh, I ask Sam to simply pray over our congregation. Uh, pray that we would continue to be faithful to Christ. Uh, pray that everyone who serves at Southridge would be filled with God's spirit. Mm. The life of Christ would be Amen. seen through us. If you could pray for our congregation, those who serve, that would be an awesome blessing for us, brother. Father, again, we looked at your word and we see that you just take normal people to do, to be your light to this lost world. And we thank you for Southridge for these 153 years that they've let their light shine and that you have been glorified through this witness. And I pray, we pray together that this body, this ecclesia, would be your instruments. And we think we all are sitting here because someone told us about Jesus. And we pray that this church, these individuals, will be your lights to a lost world, giving hope where there isn't any hope and giving rest 
where you give rest. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. By the way, if anybody um, <laughs> can read one page of Sam's notes, I'll give you 100 bucks. <laughs> Why don't you that, join me in thanking Sam? I, that's the way my mind works. It's like... <laughs> People in our church look at this. They said, you actually use those things? It's unbelievable. <laughs> Hope you enjoy Read us as you go out. Enjoy some time outside. Thank you so much for being here at Southridge. God bless you. Have a great day.